This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, hello you. Welcome along. Uh, it's another episode of My Mate Bought a Toaster, and it's a bit of a special one. I mean, they're all special. Every dive into someone's Amazon purchase listery is a special thing. But uh, this week I've got kind of king of the podcast, Adam Buxton on, who I've always thought was wonderful. Since the 90s, I was there before you. I liked him before you. That's how I feel about Adam Buxton. He's so good that I liked him before you, which is about the best compliment you can pay anyone. Uh, so this is the Adam Buxton episode where I go through his his uh, Amazon account. Would you like to hear, before the show starts, what Adam Buxton does before he gets onto a Zoom call. Do you want to hear what it's like inside Adam Buxton's head? It goes a bit like this. Getting on the call, the Zoom call with Tom Price. It's nice, that's not a good rhyme. To go with nice, it's too obvious. So yes, here we go, I'm listening to the radio. Well, not the radio, but Spotify. It's 21 Pilots and Saturday. It's the kind of song that I really like. It makes me happy because I'm a bit thick. Here we go. That's too many pilots. Please wait. The meeting host will let you in soon. Adam Buxton Toaster. Here we go. Connecting. Da da Who's this old guy? You've got a moustache. Hello, welcome along to my mate bought a toaster this week. I am so very happy. Uh, to welcome the wonderful Adam Buxton. Adam, hello, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Always a pleasure. I mean, it's, you know, I'm one of those people who you occasionally get in touch with and you say, hey, would you do this thing? And then I just don't reply. Mm-hmm. And it's not personal. That's my emailing style for everything. In fact, in my universe, if I don't reply to something, that is one of the biggest compliments you can get because it means I've actually thought about it. Yes. But I've thought about it like I've, I've sort of thought, okay, I need to do a proper response to that. So I won't do that right now because I'm, I'm just doing this thing. But then I, I think forget. I think that's but good it, to know because I took your silences to mean that that's not a no. That's that's not a no. That's That's a potential future yes, that silence. Possibly. I mean, it's usually, sometimes it is a no. Sometimes it's like... <laughs> How I need to just think. How do I say no? About how I say no. <laughs> well, listen, it's too late now because you've said yes. In fact, you've even handed me uh, your password and your login. I am currently inside your Amazon account. Um, are you feeling unnerved? Are you feeling indifferent? Are you feeling curious? Well, yeah. I mean, all of those things. Mm-hmm, good. The whole concept of your show is very much out of step with the general mood of paranoia as far as data goes in the modern world. And I would say the 
paranoia is justified. I am certainly one of those people who thinks that we need to be more careful with our data and companies need to be more responsible with the way they treat it. But does that extend to the way I actually behave in my personal life? <laughs> no, because I'll just give out my Amazon password to... <laughs> Tom Price and let him do what he wants with it and he's probably going to pass it around to other people and yeah anyway yeah we've got a, I've got a forum him. on Reddit where I hand out uh, all the famous passwords uh, Adam Buxton's yeah. password Tom Price is the best everyone knows now also I do buy a lot of stuff on the Amazon mm. and I'm not going to do the speech that I've heard your previous guests do about excoriating themselves with guilt for you know trading with the filthy Amazonians but, um, and by the way, obviously, not the I'm not talking about yeah. actual Amazonians. Those guys, man. I'm talking about the company. Not, that's really punching down if you're going for those tribes. That's not fair. I know. I'm fine with anyone from the actual Amazon. Okay. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I don't like doing it. I try and use, like, I, I very seldom buy books there, for example. Mm. And if I feel as if I can get a product from a smaller less evil outfit than I will. Mm. But um, on the other hand, the convenience. So there you go. I've done the exact same speech that so yeah, yeah. many of your previous guests have done. It, it's the it's, That is a classic start of the show caveat. Thanks for doing that. Um, it means we can now dive in guilt-free uh, and go back to your first ever order, which was, this is a good one, nearly the last century, the 19th of June at 2000. This is when buying things off Amazon wasn't unethical. No, I think <laughs> well, you didn't have to feel, I don't think it's unethical now, by the way, but uh, you didn't have to feel guilty because they weren't a giant. No. And I, I think their, their megacorp. tax paying was possibly better than it is now. I mean, we might get into murky yeah. water straight away, but I think it's right in saying they paid. Back then it was just, it was just Jeff reading the emails That's it. and yeah. sitting there surrounded by shoe boxes yeah. and um, gaffer tape. It was Bezos and his boxes. Uh, and Jeff packaged up for you uh, two books by a man called Roger Price, no relation, Slam Dunk Mad Libs and Goofy Mad Libs. What, what are the, the yeah, Mad boy. Libs books? Come on then. Have you never played Mad Libs? No. Oh, no. Mate. Be your own comedy writer from the creators of the original Mad Libs. Mate. Oh. Matey, mate with a hard eight. What what have I missed out on here then? That is something that came from being grotesquely privileged as a youth and getting to go to the United States of America mm -hmm. on a quite regular basis with my dad, who was then travel editor of the Sunday Telegraph. And he would travel around the world and take us with him whenever he had the opportunity. It was wonderful, and he loved America. This was back when America and Americans were, I would, let's just say cooler than now. <laughs> they had, they, they still seemed to be a pretty together country, and everyone there was nice and fun. And So, so far today, we've offended Amazon tribes, Jeff Bezos, and all the Americans now. All Americans. Yeah. Okay, good. Add that to the list. Cool. Listen. I still think that there is so much amazing stuff in America. It's a beautiful country, parts of it at least. Yeah. And my dad loved all that. So we would go out there fairly regularly and I just adored it there. And one of the things we picked up uh, one rainy afternoon when we were staying somewhere was a copy of Mad Libs. And it's essentially like a little notepad. And on each page, there is a story, but they have left out adjectives, verbs, <sighs> nouns, 
and proper names. And then you go around the group and you say, okay, uh, Tina, I need a adjective from you. Uh, All right, Jeff Random. I'm trying to think of interesting names. Um, It's really hard to do. It's much harder than it looks thinking random names. (laughs) I need a noun from you and that kind of thing. And And then the person doing it fills them all in and then you read it out at the end and it's just a sort of crazy, hilarious nonsense screed with uh, amusingly inappropriate adjective nouns, verbs, and proper names scattered around. It's more fun than you might imagine. And when you play it as a youngster, it's mind blowing to see, to see the medium of words scrambled up like this. If it's the first time you've encountered it, or if it is the first time you've encountered it, you just think, Oh my God, this is the best thing I've, ever seen and it's right. hilarious and mum and dad are laughing and everybody's laughing and it was just we had so many good times with it that i i remembered it years later and when buying things on the internet became a thing i thought oh yeah i'm gonna have that because i had children by that point what was the date on the purchase 19th of june 2000s 2000 okay so i didn't have children then. no and I don't think we were even thinking that we would. So right. I guess I was just buying that as a as an adult pleasure. You just saw Amazon had arrived and you're like, I'm, I'm diving straight back in there. People do that though, early doors on Amazon. We've had that a lot on this show. People dive back to a thing that they haven't been able to get from a shop for however many yes. years. Um, so do you, is it, is it uh, fair to say this this could have been the, um, the seeds of comedian Adam Buxton beginning back in the day when you're sitting on a plane with your mum and dad playing Mad Libs? Uh, I like I liked that idea of scrambling things around and word fun. You know, I really like writers and comedians who care about words and play around with words and the meaning and and grammar and all that stuff. I suppose because my dad was quite strict about it, strict slash mildly fascistic. <laughs> And he would he was one of those people who would constantly correct you if you oh, used yeah. bad grammar oh, and quite right. um you know what were his big ones uh, and pronunciation as well he I've talked about my dad quite a lot recently because I wrote about him a lot in my book ramble book, and he kind of reinvented himself as a posh guy having grown up in a uh, working class family down in in Sussex. And part of his reinvention, I suppose, was to be this stickler for grammar and pronunciation. It was so weird. It's so weird. Uh, it's so weird how how class and grammar are completely tied together. And though, and and good grammar and good pronunciation are almost the sort of the rungs on the ladder. If you get those right, you yeah. can creep upwards. Because it's an easy way. It, it's like an established code that reinforces your identity. And so it's an easy way to judge whether other people fit or not. Mm. Um, so I, I guess in the modern world, it's generally seen as a negative thing to be to be a pedant about grammar and pronunciation and all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I understand the impulse to care about words and to and to to, to get frustrated when. People are just tossing them about willy and nilly with nary a care for what they actually mean. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. When people don't, even when people, <laughs> you know, like though on Twitter was one that really annoys me, T-H-O. People have really stopped using question marks on Twitter now. It's 
the place is a grammatically speaking is a sewer now i mean politically it's <laughs> a, a wasteland bin fire but it is yeah. a wasteland and it is it's you know it's us falling apart one word at a time but sometimes i buy style guides do you know those oh i can see that from looking at you you mean uh, clothes or no uh, not okay. clothes as you can see from looking at me most newspapers and large publications, journalistic publications, will publish a style guide. So you can Google Guardian style guide and you will find A to Z, a list of all their guides for people who write for the for the Guardian, things to avoid, grammar points, oh, really? the actual definition of certain words and phrases. Um, and it's really fascinating. And when I'm reading through these, because I, I, I buy a few of them, I bought the Economist style guide the other day, uh, which is maybe a little bit stricter than the Guardian one. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm I'm going through and I'm reading stuff in there, and every single thing I do wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not as if I'm. I mean, I'm terrible. So is it things like but, we we will not have hyphens? We are semicolons all the way, or no, you know, like what? No ellipses, please. It's always a full stop. Or sentences need to be this short. Like I, I, that's amazing to think that exists. Let me give you an example. Hang on, it's quite helpful if anyone is thinking of becoming a journalist as well. What do the Telegraph? Oh yeah, what yeah. Telegraph, what do the Mail need? Just fury, block caps. It's really interesting. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Okay, okay, so here's an example. Here's a few examples. This is from the Guardian style guide under C. Uh, so for example, they, they, according to the Guardian, and this is their in-house style. So, so other people elsewhere would disagree. Other publications would do it differently, but this is how the Guardian does it. Just so that there's a sense of uniformity to the, um, journalism there. So they say cafe, no accent. So when you're writing for the Guardian, you don't put the accent on the E for cafe. I disagree with that. There should be an acute accent on that E. Thank you. Yeah. Calais refugee camp, use this phrase instead of the jungle. While the jungle is recognized as the camp's name, it is a derogatory term, so its use should be limited. Okay. Calcutta, spelt C-A-L-C, now Kolkata with two Ks. (laughs) Californian, a person. The adjective is California, which is why Brian Wilson did not write a song called Californian Girls. The same rule applies to other U.S. states. So a Texan drilling for Texas tea is an oil man, etc., etc. Call girl, like vice girl, an old-fashioned term encountered only in the tabloids where it is always the 1950s. So they're basically just going through all these kind of words and phrases that creep into usage, but you have to be kind of mindful of if you are writing for the guardian in this case that's so precise imagine putting that compendium together do you think they've got one person whose job is just that all the time just to write i think they've got a few i mean they the other thing is of course they keep having to update it yeah especially the guardian yeah (laughs) especially especially nowadays exactly every couple of hours they gotta scrap it and start it again you can't use this you can't say anything these days oh Oh, we're getting rid of hyphens are we now okay (laughs) because they're offensive to the hyphen the un- non-hyphen community. Oh, I ran out of steam on that <laughs> I was, one. I like him. <laughs> Cardiac arrest. When the heart stops beating unexpectedly as opposed to a heart attack when the blood flow to the heart is blocked. Oh. 
all means something different. Hey, has it got the difference there between vaccine and inoculation? Because I still haven't worked that one out. Apparently there is a difference. Uh, I mean, no is the short okay. answer, but I can Google it for you. <laughs> I mean, that's just Google. That's not a style guide. That's really... That's, this podcast has just become live Googling now. Uh, which I don't mind, personally. When I listen to people Googling on podcasts... <laughs> I think, yeah, this is this good. This is what I would do. This is what I would do. What, <laughs> Saves me doing it. What is it. the difference then? Inoculation, according to the World Health Organization. Uh, according to the World Health Organization, vaccination and immunization are related, although one describes an action while the other describes a process. Vaccination employs vaccines to stimulate the body's own immune system mm. to protect a person against subsequent infection or disease. That hasn't... That's... Uh, inoculation is a set of methods of artificially inducing immunity against various infectious diseases. The terms inoculation, vaccination, and immunization are often used synonymously, but there are some important differences. Oh. God, this is a long introduction <sighs> to... Just give me the answer. Yeah. What yes. are the important differences? What's the, just one point will be enough. Mm. No, you have to read a big, long thing. Ah, okay, fine. Forget that. Forget Sorry. That. I can't do that. I haven't got the concentration no. for that. Um, all right, listeners, if you know, at ToasterPod on Twitter, thank you very much indeed. Uh, all right, let's move on, Adam. Come on, let's let's plough on through now. We're leaving behind 2000. We're going to the 13th of February, 2003, day before Valentine's Day. Uh, you've spent nearly £40 on a bunch of music. You've bought uh, Pavement. Oh, fantastic. Pavement album, Slanted and Enchanted. Uh, very nice. You bought Brian Eno, Discreet Music, and Phil Manzanera and 801. 801 Live. Yeah, haven't listened to that one very often. Mm-hmm. Phil Manzanera, wow. He was in Roxy Music. Okay. So I guess I was just digging deep into the Brian Eno uh, hole. And I love all things Brian Eno related. Discreet Music is good. That's one of his ambient ones. Uh, I don't know if I've listened to it that much. It's the kind of thing that is nice to work to if you're doing some manual labor. Yeah, good. Or doing something where you do, like. Do you play music while you're working? No. If I'm well, if I'm writing, I have music. Yeah, yeah writing. If I'm, if I'm doing manual labor, like a bit of um, uh, you know, like a flat pack furniture or a bit of gardening. Not that I've ever gardened. It's it's, it's podcasts all the way. It's podcasts all the way. But if I'm writing, it's oh really? Yeah, it's music. But so you listen to music while you're writing. Yeah, yeah, I do. That's impressive. I can't do that. Do you have to have it all off, complete and silence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get, I, I really, I think I've never, I've never actually asked anyone who would give me a definitive answer, but I think I might have some kind of diagnosable concentration problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's always been that way. It was a real issue at school. Mm-hmm. This is such a big moment for that. There's so many people who are having this realization about ADHD at the moment. We've talked about it on the last couple of episodes, in fact. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamie East came on and said he's just getting diagnosed. I've had a diagnosis of ADHD, and and really, yeah, yeah. Sound is a big part of it. Sound is a big part of it. I, if you get really uh, distracted and taken away by sound and have massive overreactions to it, that is a big sign of um, ADHD. Oh well, that's me down to a T. I get. One of the reasons I love music is that I am instantly transported by it and my heart starts racing. Like if I like a song or if it's in any way emotional and it's now becoming a real problem (laughs) now that I'm 51 years old and it doesn't take that much to set me off. You well up. Are you a a weller upper? I'm poor weller, mate. Yeah. Yeah, Are you? And 
and now that I play music to my children, like my children are getting into music, all three of them really love music, which is just That's so exciting yeah, for me. Yeah. And what's more, they don't mind listening to old music. So they're not sort of chart fascists mm -hmm. and they, they'll be skidding around on Spotify or whatever. And they'll say, Oh, have you, dad, have you heard of Neil Diamond? I'm like, <laughs> let me tell you about Neil Diamond. <laughs> Right, where shall we start? So last night I stuck, I said, yeah, man, I know Neil Diamond. He's great. I said, have you heard Holly Holy? Do you know Holly Holy? No, no. Holly Holy. It's kind of like a, it almost sounds like I said a big spiritual, like a whole church choir singing this incredible thing. It's, it just builds and builds and builds. It's so over the top and emotional. It's amazing. So I was sticking this on in the kitchen. I was really struggling not to just go. <laughs> it's a gut punch. I, but I always want to be one of those people who reacts to music and gets emotional. And I often get very in my head when I'm at a concert and I'm watching it. And I think, come on, where's the... Did you ever get that where you're like, come on, I should be enjoying it now? And and I was watching, uh, it was Ben Folds, in fact. I went to see him live and I'd I'd forgotten to be on Emotion Watch to try and make myself get emotional. And I just found myself yeah. completely welling up at um, one of his songs. I can't remember which one it was now. Uh, brick. <laughs> well, yeah, Brick. Uh, no, uh, brick. it was um, um, Jesus Land. Brick's the only one Bricks, I know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's, as soon as that sort of self-monitoring thing had switched off, and I just listened to the music, I was like, "Oh yeah, it does. It does work. It can. It can gut punch you if you let it in." Yeah, but I can't. Like Joe Cornish and Edgar Wright, I know they both listen to music while they're writing their amazing film things. And uh, Joe and I, when we were trying to write together at one point, before Joe completely abandoned me and thought, "Right, oh, screw it. God, I'm just gonna ridiculous. tether my." writing cart to uh, Edgar. Yeah, mistake. Big mistake. We were sat down in a kitchen and we were trying to write and he was putting music on. I was like, I can't concentrate at all. And it was at that moment I knew that this was, it was not going to happen. Oh God, that's that uh, that early on. But you'd, you spent so much time together, working together, you and Joe, surely. Yeah, but we never really, we always worked quite separately. And yeah, we've only okay. s recently started to admit that publicly. When we were doing the Adam and Joe show, our TV show together in the late 90s and early 2000s, we were always scrupulous about claiming that we did everything together because I knew enough about indie bands and all sorts of bands to know that when one member starts taking too much credit, then the dynamic starts to crumble. Mm. So, and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of bands that have real longevity, uh, well, Radiohead are the one that spring to mind, but I think Coldplay do this as well, probably because of Radiohead, but they all share the writing credits mm. and it doesn't really matter who, who contributed what, they know that it's better just to split it. If you start getting into, oh, well, no, because actually I I wrote most of the words there, so it doesn't really seem fair. As soon as you get into that, say, yeah. You're doomed. You're completely doomed. You are doomed. That was Joe just emailing, saying, <laughs> you're not going on about the credit thing again, are you? Everyone knows that I did all the funny stuff and you just ponced around. Fucking That's offensive way of putting it. Do you to him now or do you want to tell him he's a... Just give me one second. Yeah, go on, mate. Fuck Dickens. you, yeah, you stupid 
cock. Send. Great. There we go. My matey potato Hi, I'm Scott Hancock, and I host From Queer to Eternity, a new podcast exploring what it means to be queer, where we have conversations like this. I look at younger generations and go, you can just Google this stuff. The fact that the only mention of queerness was don't get AIDS. <laughs> if I'd been marrying a girl, that would not have happened. Maybe we can find a, a universality that, that we weren't aware of before. That's why this podcast so great, because actually, well, I guess we just don't think to speak of this stuff, and yet it's part of our fabric. From Queer to Eternity, available to listen to now from the Great Big Owl Company. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, listen, 2005 then. Um, again, a lot of music uh, you're buying at this point, Adam. And that's very common, actually, uh, for people on their Amazon shopping during this bit of the decade. Lots of people just buying things like, for example, uh, you've got our famous country music makers, Roy Rogers. Very nice. The Monks, Black Monk Time. Oh, it's a peach. There you go. Um, what else have we got? Uh, the oh, Slits and Cuts. Um this is all this is all good stuff. This is all good stuff. And as I would expect on Adam Buxton's Amazon history at this point, I would say. This is all this is what I'm expecting. Yeah, a lot of that st- I think there was an internet radio show that I discovered. I don't know what they would have been called in those days. It was a sort of a live stream, I suppose. And I don't remember exactly where I would go to listen to it, but it was just um the first time I'd ever heard music live streaming online mm. and uh it was a lot of shows from america they sounded like college radio shows and they would play really good left field stuff and it would be a good mix of actually very similar to to that little selection you just mentioned yeah. so it might be uh well i bought the roy rogers thing because they played tumbling tumbleweeds which is a really great track that I think's probably been used in quite a few movies. Um, but it's very strange and haunting. It's the kind of thing that you might imagine David Lynch would use, you know, mm-hmm. and not what you'd expect from the king of cowboy country <laughs> as Roy Rogers was. But uh, it was this beautiful haunting track. And then, you know, they played something by Perubu after it. Uh, so it was really good, this uh, this radio station online. It got me into lots of things. Oh, yeah. And Cut was one of those records that... Is that is that them with the 
Are they all covered in mud on the cover? Uh, they, hang on one second, I've skipped on ahead to 2006, hold the line caller while I go back in time. Um, I think it is. I think Yeah, so, this... yeah, cut, They. that's right, they've, they've uh, three ladies on the front. Uh, and they are covered, wearing, but they're wearing nothing but mud, to be fair. Yeah, and I remember seeing that record in the house of uh, a friend of mine's mother. His he, he when I was at school, my best friend was a guy called Tom, and his parents were divorced. They were, and it, he was the first person I knew whose parents were divorced. Oh. And I just, to me, that was my worst nightmare that my parents would split up, which they eventually did. But uh, and it wasn't so bad because I was a lot older. But um, in fact, they should have split up way before. <laughs> but when I was 10, you know, the idea that my parents would split up was the most appalling thing I could conceive of. Why? And what was so bad that, about it? Because it would ruin home life or because of like Yeah, because I, I loved them both and they were both really nice to me. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> and yeah. we had a, I had a lovely childhood. I, I loved oh. it. And so I didn't want to be catapulted out of that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want, I just couldn't conceive of the possibility of them not getting on and not liking each other. I mean, very soon thereafter, I realized that was the case and they, <laughs> and they irritated each other massively. And eventually when, as soon as they could, they got away from each other, but they were one of these middle-class, upper middle-class, perhaps parents who felt that it would be too disastrous an admission of defeat. So they stayed together as long as they possibly could. And in fact, they never got divorced um, because they, I don't know, they just, it was, it was too much to actually admit that they were getting <laughs> divorced. It was crazy. Anyway, I went to my friend Tom's house and it was like, wow, Tom, he's fine though. His parents have got divorced and he's he, like, his life's continuing and he mm. seems okay. Mm. And he's but, got this um, CD with naked I, women on the front of it. So everything's going he's great. Got, well, his mum was very groovy and uh, she was a journalist who hung out with a lot of uh, groovers in London and, um, you know, went to a lot of punk gigs. This is the early 80s, so maybe more new wavy gigs. And she swore and uh in her where we went to stay at her place like she'd just go out we were only 11 but we'd hardly ever see her and we were sort of hanging around in this place in in Clapham South and you know her front room was painted dark blue um and she had drug paraphernalia lying around you know oh, like wow. rolling papers and a rolling machine God. and and uh, and all these albums stacked up against the wall, and one of them was um, cut by the slits. And I just looked at it. I was like, "Cut by the slits." <laughs> it just sounds Look rude. At the slit. It is. I'm pretty <laughs> so sure rude. that is rude. <laughs> and look at them. They are not wearing clothes. They are wearing mud. And I can absolutely see their boobies. And what the fuck is that? I'm literally looking at six boobies on my yeah. my friend's mum's house's wall. And, what? And I just thought, what kind of music is that going to be? 
what sort of thing is it? It's just going to be satanic. Um, I couldn't even conceive of it. Do you think that's why you were scared of your parents splitting up because you thought your mum might start listening to music like that? Was that why you were so scared? Yeah, I just thought my mum was instantly going to go and find some mud and paint her boobies with it and just start running around in the streets. We're all scared of that. Deep down, I think we're all scared of that, Dr. Freud. Sport fishing. What's this? Sport fishing. Shadowy men on a shadowy planet. Do you know what this is? The 23rd of January 2010, you bought this. Shadowy men on a shadowy planet. Sounds as if it could be a comedy thing. Is it Kids in the Hall? CD, it's a CD. Short. Oh, yeah. The tracks that stand out, I'm looking at reviews. The tracks that stand out are Three Piece Suits, Spy School Graduation Theme, and 13 Untitled Track. I think it's music. Oh, okay. No, they're a band. Right. Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet. Uh, Well, they must have done. Yeah, there we go. They did a song called Having an Average Weekend, which was the theme tune for Kids in the Hall. Okay. um, Which was uh, the, the Canadian sketch show comedy show did you ever used to watch that no never watched that one when was that out please that was big in the 90s i wanna say okay. do you ever say i wanna say i wanna say i'm thinking i'm yeah sometimes my son I loves say. saying i wanna say i wanna say, <laughs> I wanna say four o'clock <laughs> well just say four o'clock then <laughs> i'm not stopping you do what you want to do say whatever time you want <laughs> follow your instincts but it's a it's one of those phrases i'm annoyed by but it's fun to say i understand why people say it it just gives you a, you're buying yourself a little bit more time i want to say thursday just say thursday then the one i do which causes problems is i say interesting too much and i'll say it when someone says something not interesting at all because that's my biding time word. Interesting. Uh, like, and, and people are like, you're just being openly sarcastic at me. It's it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. Um, Kids in the Hall yeah. is, I mean, it was very influential, especially obviously in Canada where it came from, mm. but also in the States, I think it was, it was kind of like, um, I don't know, maybe I'm trying to think of something that would be analogous in the UK. Maybe Fist of Fun or something like that. You okay. Know. Um, but Kids in the Hall was late 80s. So it was very much a, a, a kind of alt, new wave comedy style. Right. Uh, that was quite strange and surreal. Oh, yeah. When I first... And they, they, they were a bit like the League of Gentlemen meets... Um, meets the fast show or something like that. Like they, they were quite cinematic and involved, and they were very good actors. And they played like they were really good at doing their character stuff. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it in years. I imagine a lot of it is um, no longer appropriate. <laughs> it's it's probably problematic, but um, it was good. It was pretty good. Uh, look, here we go. Twenty uh, fifth of April, twenty ten. Uh, you've bought David Bowie by David Bowie. I did, are you a, are you a fan of? You like David Bowie? Do you? I didn't know that. You should, you should really mention that. You should bring that up in conversation. Um, so, is that his first album then? I suppose it is an early one. Yeah, 
Why did I buy? I'm surprised I bought. I guess I bought it on CD. I would have had it on cassette when I was little. Yeah, and um, it is really good. I like it. It's you know the the early kind of more music hall stuff when he was really trying to find his voice, and famously ripped off this guy called Anthony Newley, who was big in the '60s as a uh, well he was an actor and a comedian and a performer and he was kind of a jack of all trades and he would do these strange theatrical satirical songs almost like comedy songs mm. of the day mm. and bowie really liked that and that's what he wanted to be he he wanted to be a kind of um song and dance man who did a bit of acting uh, but he re he always loved his comedy, and so he appreciated the the satirical and comedic aspects of Anthony Newley, and so those things fed into his early attempts at putting together a collection of songs for an album. And I think that's what you find on oh, David Bowie by David he, Bowie. He was a sponge, and love. He was a real sponge. It's weird to think of David Bowie was. absorbing stuff in the 60s. I think of him as such a sort of beginning in the 70s and then blossoming into who he was over the following decades. But of course, the 60s were massive for him because that's when it was starting. It's an odd thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it took him quite a while to figure out what he was going to do. And, and famously, he, you know, he was quite sort of utilitarian. Music was a means to an end. And the end was to be famous. And he was always quite candid about being one of these people who really just wanted to be famous. But he that's a massive to taboo now. As... No one wants that anymore. No one, that's uncool to say No, that. because it's a stupid thing to want. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's like, no, you're putting the cart before the horse, mate. Find something that you love doing and that you are somewhat good at. Mm. And then if you get famous, okay, that's a bonus, depending on how you see it. But don't just go and try and be famous. That never works. But I guess maybe if you're someone as talented as Bowie, all you need to do is just find your medium and plug yourself into it. And then he said, you know, if he'd been born 30 years later or whatever, then he wouldn't have made music at all. Maybe he just would have done stuff online. Podcast, mate. Podcaster. Have he'd been, have been a great podcaster. Oh. He would have been a podcaster. There you go. Yeah. Imagine. But I don't know. I think that's probably bullshit. He, he, he was... He was best at music. Mm. I, I liked his acting and I'm sure he was a perfectly interesting painter and all the other things that he turned his hand to were worthwhile. But the music was definitely best at music. I think of him as a musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's I think yeah. that's okay. We don't need to whisper that. It's fine. Um uh like what what have we got on the okay, David Bowie, nineteen sixty seven. Yeah. Uh oh, it's got a lot of good stuff. Uncle Arthur, mm -hmm. rubber band. There's a rubber band that plays tunes out of tune In the library garden Sunday afternoon While a little chappy waves a golden wand Rubber band! In 1912 I was so handsome and so strong My moustache was stiffly waxed and one foot long And I loved a girl while you played tea time tunes <laughs> You've sold it! I'm that. buying it, I'm buying it That's incredible uh, That's And it's all, it's all these sort of weird... Join the gang. Let me introduce you to the gang. Johnny plays the sitar. He's an existentialist. Once he had a name, now he plays our game. And it's a, a satire of swinging London. So he's sort of, he's living in swinging London, but he's out in the suburbs a little bit. And he comes into town and he sees all these groovers cruising around Carnaby Street. And half of him is thinking, 
that's what I want. I want to be part of that gang. But the other half of him is thinking, you're a bunch of tits and I'm going to take the piss out of you in this song. And I really strongly relate to that feeling of, on the one hand, wanting to belong and wanting to be where the cool people are. Mm. And on the other hand, just thinking, fuck you <laughs> and taking the piss. You're basically describing the experience of sitting in a uh, any media sort of lovey's private bar in London. Everyone, everyone will be sitting there thinking... God, you know, I'm part of the media set, you bunch of pricks. And yet everyone in that building is thinking the same thing about each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bunch of dicks. Um, okay, look, here we are here in 2010. Look, there's a lot of storage here, Buxton. There's a lot of storage. Um, you have... 2010, yes, yes, moving, moving out of London. Yeah, okay, all right. So this that was the moment, was oh, it? Oh, no, we've moved, we've moved. Okay. Okay. Uh, 2010, we are moving. No, we are moving again. We moved out of London. 2008, when my daughter was born, the last of our three children. Uh-huh. And that was the condition. My wife blackmailed me and said, if I don't have another child, I'll never be happy again. Great. Yeah, lovely. And I said, romantic. What? <laughs> what kind of thing is that to say? I was like, right, okay, if we're, if we're blackmailing, then how about we, we have to move out of London? Because I don't, I, I, by that time, I didn't, there wasn't really any point in being in London. When you've got young children, all the mm. fun things about London tend to evaporate. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of convenient things like schools and play areas and mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. parents that you can. Yeah, break uh, coffees. You know, share your sorrows with. Mm-hmm. But, um, but all the fun things like going to gigs and parties and generally fooling around you don't really get to do any of those anymore at least i didn't so i thought okay well let's just move out yeah why did you go to norfolk why did you why did you head that way that's where my wife's family come from oh i see good yeah all her family were in were in norfolk so i thought uh yeah that'll be good childcare tick did you and, feel like you were um, retiring? Did you feel a bit like you were retiring? Did, did it was the inner kind of ambitious media lovey like, oh god, this is it. I'm switching myself off. A little bit. And I remember Stuart Lee had a big routine around that time on his TV show about people moving out into the country and how desperate they were to <laughs> prove to you that it was that they were glad they did it and it wasn't totally lonely and they hadn't just given up. <laughs> and have you got any cocaine? And, uh, and that's right. And have you got any cocaine? And, <laughs> and I remember feeling quite offended mm-hmm, when I watched mm-hmm. that routine. It was one of the very few times I thought, hmm, I think I'm offended. <laughs> this is the beginning of the culture wars. Yeah, because I just thought, that's not true. And I don't think, I think, no, that is not true. And I think you're taking the piss out of someone like me and I don't like it. I will shut you down. Yes. <laughs> anyway, of course it was true and uh, it was funny and, and there was a bit of that going on. But the thing was, I really loved being out in the country and I still do. And it is just amazing, you know. I feel very lucky to be able to do it, but it is, you do pay the price Mm. a little bit uh, and you do have to be mindful. You have to work a bit harder to be sociable. And then, you know, if a pandemic comes along, that's not going to happen. You really are extremely isolated. Yeah. And uh, 
And then at the other end of it, I feel as if we're coming out of it now. And I do feel as if reintegrating is going to be a challenge. But I guess it's a challenge for everybody. We had friends over for dinner the other night. It was very difficult. I walked out of the room. Several times I walked out of the room because there was something on TV that my kids were watching. And I just thought, I don't need to be sitting at this table talking to you. I just stood up and walked off like a, like a bald toddler because yeah. <laughs> I don't have, there are no social rules anymore. And just, and I, was, I found myself sitting watching the thing my son was watching. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Tim and Lydia are next door. And I've just fucking walked away from them. It was really weird. I had to go and apologize. I was like, guys, I'm really sorry. I just, it just feels like every day is another sort of family are here Groundhog Day. And I just sauntered off. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Yamaha QY100, one of my favourite QYs there. £509, Buxton. It's a big one. Woo! woo. Uh, love making your sounds. You really, you love making music, right? And that's what you're doing here, yeah? Yeah, that is a great bit of kit, mm-hmm. the QY100. I'm looking at it now. You can buy a used one for just less than 150 quid. I would recommend it. It's... Uh, it's a fun thing that makes music making for the non-musician quite easy. Yeah. And that's good because I am not in any way formally musically trained slash talented. Oh, you're talented. But- you left a pause there so I could jump in and say you are talented. Your <laughs> jingles are fucking amazing, Adam Buxton, and you know it. Thanks, man. Brilliant. No, I mean, some of them are good, but... Yeah, there. I think there is a difference between a third be, being uh, good at thirty second jingles and actually having talent. So, but the good thing about something like the Yamaha QY one hundred is that mm-hmm. if you dig into it, you can really screw around with it and and do some quite sophisticated and complicated stuff. And I remember seeing a documentary about Bjork, who was uh, one of the people I very much admire. And she was using the QY100 and okay. getting, you know, quite different stuff out of it than than I was. I generally st- stuck to the kind of arpeggiator feature and uh, used a lot of the preset patterns in there. They've got they've got a load of really good musical patterns. Hang on. Are all you know, your you... jingles just demo mode? Is that what we're discovering here? A lot of them. Yeah. yeah. A lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never, I've never tried to conceal the fact because it would be too embarrassing. I mean, yeah, a lot of them are loops or even whole jingles uh, from apps like GarageBand or Logic or whatever. Um, I use library music quite a bit, um, but things like the Yamaha have been really good. I've done quite a few things on that one. Nice. In fact, did I do? No, I didn't do the counting song on that one, but it's got some really nice, sometimes these relatively, I mean, 500 quid is is a, a fair bit, yeah. but still in the world of synthesizers, it's not that much. And you can sometimes fa- find with these cheap or mid-priced bits of equipment, some of the sounds are really nice and meaty yeah. and uh, they've got nice little drum sounds or, or very chunky bass things that you can customize. Yeah. And yeah, that was a great post. Does it take you a long time when you're, say you're, you know, you're writing a new song for the show? Uh, do you lose yourself for days on end or is it quite a kind of, yeah, it's an hour in and out, all done? Uh, it varies. It's usually they, the, the good ones don't take very long. The bad ones take ages and ages and ages because they're not working and you keep, that's not always true, actually. Some of that, like I, I, I've got one called, have you seen my phone charger? <laughs> and that was, that had a long evolution and i played around with it for quite a long time until i was happy with that one 
But it is. I, I could just do that forever. I love it so much. It's so fun. Are you like now the interviews on your podcast are a slightly disappointing distraction? Really, it's mainly about, you know, the, the interviews are a delivery device for the jingles now, right? Sometimes. I mean, some of my favorite episodes are, it depends on the conversation. So I think earlier on, if I was having a conversation with someone like Joe or another comedian, it it was often the case that it was very bitty. They were little chunks that would end up being used. So I would need the jingles to bridge the chunks to connect everything. Um, But then more recently, I've been talking to more kind of slightly more in quotes, grown up people. Like I talked to, I talked to more authors of more kind of uh, serious books, perhaps. Like I talked to Kazuo Ishiguro the other day. Amazing, amazing. And, um, do you have to? What do you do when you get ready for an interview like that? You like approach it completely differently, or you like I'm going to pretend I'm talking to yeah. Louis or, or Joe. What do you do? No, no. I, I, I mean, I hope that I hope that there are moments when it's informal and silly, um, but I really don't want to humiliate myself in those situations and i really i'll definitely read whatever book they are um plugging or whatever and i'll try and read as many of their other ones as i as i can and uh and i will that that one for kazuo ishiguro i did a lot of prep and i watched a lot of interviews and actually you don't end up using it but it's just it's a a, you're able to relax and just not worry so much about sounding like a total ignoramus. Yeah, and, aren't you intimidated um, by the size of his brain? I feel that talking to you, Adam, because you've got yeah. such a huge, like genuinely, without blowing smoke up your ass, which is not something I'm, I'm going to do. But, you know, you mm-hmm. have the frames of references and all these cultural references and your, your passion for music. It, it leaves me like, fuck, I don't know anything. And when you're talking to Kazushiguru, do you think, how am I going to, this guy, there's a massive brain sitting in the room in front of me. What do I, how do I begin to maneuver my way around it? Or do you just not think like that? You just get stuck in? No, I do think like that, but it's, but, but you only continue to feel like that if the other person is keen for you to continue to feel like that you know what i mean like yeah, yeah, if yeah. they're a dick then yeah. they will make make you feel like that yeah. but if they are in any way interesting or interested and which he was he was a real classic example of some like you can tell they'll ask you questions as well you know what i mean they're interested in your life as well yeah. Uh, which is good for me because i do tend to talk about myself a lot on the podcast <laughs> but that is that that's part of it I justify it because I, that's what I want the conversations to be like. You know, I want them to be like people either on a blind date or meeting someone at a party. And it's that conversation, you know, you you Mm. like each other, you're interested in each other and you talk. And and so you exchange information about your own life as well as, uh, as well as theirs. It's not a formal interview in that way. And he Mm. was just so generous and also patient. Joe Cornish listened to it. And then emailed me afterwards and said, I mean, he, te- he tends to tease me a little bit about the podcast. It's jealousy, mate. That's jealousy. You know that's jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> but he said, that bit where you were going, there was one bit where I was t- telling some story. Oh, no, I-, I said, you know, we're talking about the past and memories of the past and how you deal with things in the past that you're not happy with and uncomfortable about and the whole conversation about how you, you know, how do you deal with problematic moments 
of, of various kinds in the past, either personally or socially. And I started talking about things that I was ashamed of in my own life. But then as soon as I'd mentioned them, he was, as any person would in that kind of conversation, Kazuo Ishiguro was saying, like, what kind of things? And then I, I realized that I couldn't actually specify what they were because I didn't want to get into an area where I was dredging up things that I was ashamed of and actually mention names and incidents yeah. because I wasn't prepared to re-engage. I, I didn't want to encourage someone to come out of the woodwork and say, oh yeah, fuck you, by the yeah. way. Yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? That's the problem with having listeners, Adam. That's why you're safe on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but also then you're basically turning that into a new format, which is therapy with Kazuo Shiguro, which is... What a thing. Yeah, that's right. But Joe was like, you're talking to Kazuo Ishiguro and you're, and you're making veiled, nebulous references to things that you've done wrong to other people in the past. And he's just sitting there listening, going, what are you talking? Like, because I was saying, you know, I'm so ashamed and I feel so bad. And he's like, wow, what, kind, what did you do? And I wasn't actually telling him. I, was saying, I, I didn't kill anyone. I, uh, so I guess... Uh, people listening were sort of thinking jesus what what the fuck did he do <laughs> it wasn't too bad it was nothing too bad it's just stuff that you wake up and you think about and you squirm and you think oh no mm. well we want some more let's see if we can find some person. more of those uh, in your amazon purchase history there's okay. plenty more shame to be had and we haven't got much longer with you now Adam, so let's i'm gonna try and rattle through a few uh for example the sure. zignet 10 foot variable badminton set i mean there's a man who's just moved to the country i'm in the country i have land I will badminton. Oh man, we had some good badminton mm -hmm. times. It didn't last that long. Part of the reason for that is probably that no one ever put it away in the shed. Rot. It was just left Born out. Born to rot. They just rot the hell away really quickly. So I think maybe we only got a year of use out of it. But what a mm. year that was. And we had some magnificent badminton time. I used to hate sport when I was younger. Bad loser? I don't know why. Bad loser, physically lazy, um, physically inept. Mm. Uh, yeah, or, or it just wasn't working. I for always me. found that with sport as a kid, I just wanted to. I carried on being the clown because that was my role. Very, very shit class clown. I carried on doing that, and people really don't like it when you piss around when you're trying to play a sport. And I realised the audience, no. the kids who were interested in me disrupting geography, were not interested in me disrupting football or rugby or whatever. They wanted to do the thing. Yeah, sport guys don't like it, especially guys, uh, especially football boys. I found out very quickly, get very serious when it comes to the ball and the kick and the goal and the foot. Gen genuinely, I remember putting a football underneath my uh, underneath my shirt and pretending I was pregnant when I was about eight or nine. Yeah. And thought, this is fucking gold. <laughs> that is classic. I love it. And they were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? We can't play if you do that. And they just didn't laugh for anything. Dicks. I'm glad you've laughed just now. I'm happy now. That's fixed that. Yeah, man. That's good. That's fixed that. You're not pregnant. You've got a football up there, you monkey. Uh, but I didn't like any of that. Yeah. And I remember Joe Cornish and Louis Theroux, when we were at school, hanging out on a weekend and playing badminton and then enthusing about it. And I just thought, really? But that's sport. Because one of the things that bonded us as a group was our aversion to sport on the whole. Yeah. We'd rather be watching a movie or TV. Um, and I got, I got quite discombobulated when Joe and Louis started playing badminton. I was like, no, 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 that's sport. Mm. You know, we don't do that's that. That's treachery. That is and group then, treachery. Yeah. 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 And then of course I, you know, I realized as I got older that my whole attitude to sport was massively ignorant and that it was great fun and badminton for someone not especially coordinated was something that was 
pretty doable and really, really fun. Yeah. So I recommend that for similar non-sporty stuff. Um, good. All right. So um, let's see where we're at now. We've got a look at this. Oh, five meter bell tent. The 13th of August, 2012. Oh, 635 pounds on a bell tent. You're making the most of the land. You see, this is amazing. This is the leaving the London dream that you're doing here. 2012. I think we got that because I'd been invited to do more gigs at festivals. Like I would I'd be doing things like Latitude on a more regular basis. Not sure about the dates here, but that was definitely part of what was going on. Yeah. Um, was thinking, let's try and, you know, I was taking my family along to, to these festivals. You'd get, I'd be able to wangle some passes and, uh, yeah, do the, do the whole bell tent thing in the, in the artist camping area. What a life. What a life, just hanging out with like Robin Ince. Can you imagine? <laughs> the dream. You could just have a moan off. <laughs> he was always really nice whenever I used to see him. He's a top guy. He's a top guy. Uh, 10th of September, 2012, the Stanley Fat Max Heavy Duty Stapler slash Nailer. Lovely. You got a Nailer there. Oh, man. I've got more than one of those now. Of course you have. I love those. Big industrial. They give a kick back as well. Yeah, man. I love it. I, I've stapled the absolute heck out of everything because I've got cables and wires and I'm always putting up fairy lights. I love fairy I can see lights. some behind you. Yes, I can see. Yeah. LED lights. So it's, do you think it's sort of fulfilling the, um, that is a Norfolk version of in America, in the, in the, the deep South, they'll get guns for the same thing. Like this is like yeah. a British version. <laughs> the staple got <laughs> that because the kick it gives you, it does give you a slight. Ooh. Yeah. Instead of the NRA, it's the NSA. No, the NSA is another thing. <laughs> the national stoke. The National Stapler Association. I'd be very happy to join that and protect my stapler rights. I could be, if they had holsters for them, I would invest in those as well. So I could go around with two yeah. big Fat Max staplers yeah. on my hips and just be stapling the absolute hell out of everything. Oh, staple holster would be so Have good. you ever stapled your oh. finger? Not with a Fat Max, that would be hospital. But No, I once put a knitting needle through my finger. That was the on, on the, you know, the old sewing machines, not a knitting needle, a sewing yeah. needle. And I was, I was doing things. Through the nail? Yeah, I put my th finger under there. My mum was on the phone. I remember she was right next to me and I was pissing around with it. I was about five years old. And you go round and you think, as I'm going round, it's getting further away. So then I kept going round, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, thinking it would keep going further away. But yeah. the nature of the machine is very much up and down, up and down, up and down. So I went all the way back and I went, oh, quick, better get away because I'm really close. So I went really round really quickly and it just went, thunk, and I punctured uh, my, my index. It went right through. I screamed, pulled it away, and I had a nail right through the middle of my index finger. And my mum, <sighs> to her credit, carried on talking uh, put the hat, put the old phone, you know, in the in the holster, in the um, the old shoulder neck area. Sure. Reached over, thunk, pulled it out. Didn't even stop. Didn't even stop for breath as she spoke. Amazing. Nice. Oh, I remember stapling my finger just with a with a small domestic stapler. Yeah. Just fooling around with it absentmindedly, maybe on the phone or whatever, and then click, and it's like, oh, that's gone into my thumb, and it's gone really, really deep, and. I remember it was hard to pull it out. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the, the yeah. first time you really stuff something deep into your flesh, oh. it's a real surprise that it's like, oh, this isn't just going to slide out. I've got to really pull on this thing. Yeah, it, this is gripping time. in meat. This is this is properly stuck in a in a lump of meat that happens to be my body. Yeah, you know, it's like in in films when 
someone gets a big tree splinter in them or something in some survival movie they uh you know they wince a little bit and bite down on something and it slides out fairly easily but no that's never going to slide out once that's really in there down in your thigh touching the bone you're going to have to get a mate to get some pliers and yank that out and then you probably shouldn't because you'll bleed to death but well look at henry the eighth look at henry the eighth it properly did for him didn't it he had he had basically a rotten splinter in his leg, and he just he just did he is that that was his problem was it that was that was his downfall yeah he was jousting and he got a massive splinter from a, a wooden joust and went into his calf and they never really got it out and it was infected and he sort of slowly died of infection for like eight years or something like that it was crazy that's why I stopped jousting me too man do you not joust anymore no no I really I, I, it is it's too dangerous I'm too old now. What's the purchase history of this jokester? Stay tuned for my mate but a toaster. So listen, and I can see, uh, I'm, I'm leaping ahead now because we're running out of time with you, Adam Buxton. I've enjoyed this so sure. much. And I, there's a whole load of things I've missed out. So that means inevitable sequel. So the emails will start sure, again in about two. a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, here we are, 20th of November, 2020. You know, just now you were taking the credit for researching assiduously Kazuo Ishiguro. But I see here, I see the truth. You bought the audio books. So you, ha- you sat down and had a nice listen to Kazuo Ishiguro. I mean, you bought. I, I do think this, I do think about this. Does listening, does listening to an audio book count as having read the book? I mean, yes, <sighs> oh. it definitely does. Because, you know, where, where does that leave... Um, non-sighted people do they just not read of course they do they listen to the audiobook they have had the experience of the words and the story and the nuance and everything that comes with reading a book they just haven't mm-hmm. done it with their eyes in that way and there is this uh feeling that is so strong that it's like y- the act of reading with your eyes i do i mean it is a different experience no doubt but does it change the actual engagement with the book i mean i've i've had the experience of reading a book of hearing a book on audiobook and then rereading it with my eyes because i liked it so much yeah and it, and the net result the net experience is not that different and i'm going to as far I'm as i'm going to put this out there and, and this this goes against you know uh every uh, inch of my um rigorously educated uh, books are punishment and you need to sit and sweat and read books for hours and hours background but i think but audio books that i've i've i can think of a couple that i've listened to recently i think i've enjoyed them more from listening to them than i would have if i'd read them. yeah it's more of a it's more of a lottery because if you're the great thing about being able to read a book with your own eyes is that the voice is yours that you're reading it in and mm. um and the tone of it and all that stuff is it you do it just the way you want it to so you colonize it completely if you're enjoying it but when you're listening to an audiobook very often you'll get someone reading it who you just think i don't like you <laughs> i don't like your voice i don't like i don't like the way you pronounce bonquette yeah i don't like anything about you i think you're ruining this book yeah and that happens a lot and it's a real drag yeah and that actually in the past that's happened and and then i've just thought okay i'm gonna have to buy the actual book i love it when accents go wrong on audiobooks that's one of my favorite things when americans just dip into a british accent on an audiobook that is 
always a pleasure. Yeah. There's one in particular, I won't name him, but oh my God, it was disastrous. And I just, it was like a really brutal crime novel. And I was just giggling away. Um, listen, here we go. This is, we're going to the last couple of things now, Adam, uh, before we lose you. Uh, this, I mean, this tells an interesting story. The Flycam comfort stabilizing arm and vest for Flycam uh, bought on the uh, 4th of April, very much handed back uh, a couple of weeks later. It looks like, it looks like you they sent They sent me the wrong thing. Dickheads. They sent me the absolute wrong thing. It's a Steadicam it stabilizer. A, it, wow. Wow. Yeah. A Steadicam stabilizer, but it's a really cheap one. Because, you know, if, if you buy a real Steadicam, that's thousands and thousands of pounds. What I wanted, mm. because this is a story about me getting older, is that I now get tendonitis very easily. And uh, if I'm doing any kind of repetitive action with my hands, shut up, watch out, then I'm likely to suffer for it a few days later and get real sharp pains in my wrists and things like that. Wanking. What? <laughs> sorry, that's kind of terrific. You have to do that. God's sake. No, I don't. I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking about wanking. But um, Hang on, the so you bought, thing you bought a steady cam thing I, for wanking. What? No. <laughs> yeah, to to be able to strap my enormous schlong to the steady cam mm-hmm. arm and then just anyway. No, that's not what I was doing. I'm sorry about that image. The thing was that when I was going out on my walks with Rosie, my dog friend, and recording the intros and outros for the podcast. Yes. I do it with this small dictaphone and I always was holding the dictaphone in the same hand, in my left hand. And I would notice that if I was going out and walking and and doing that for about an hour or so, I always tape a lot more than I need to. I'd come back and I'd really feel it the next day, just my my arm being in that same position and my wrist being in that position. My God, you've got a podcast injury. That is how much you're sacrificing for your art. So I thought to myself, if I get some kind of vest an armature thing strapped to the vest, then I can mount the dictaphone <laughs> to the arm and I can do it hands-free. And I'm sure there's wow. an easier way of doing it, but that was my solution. Um, no, they, well, I, can, I haven't used the vest yet. That, first of all, they sent me the wrong thing. They just sent me the entirely, I didn't ask for have this. Have you got it? Is it what there? What a pain in the rectum. Is it there? Yeah. Can we have a look? It is. So you've bought this Steadicam vest for a podcast. Most people, most people would assume a Steadicam vest would be for filming like the Olympics or something. <laughs> Look at that! It looks like a, it looks uh, like a stab vest or something. It's incredible. It looks, yeah, it looks like a piece of armor that someone would wear out in Iraq or something. Yeah, and um, and you can mount stuff to it, but it doesn't. It's it's totally it's bullshit, sh- and I haven't used it for actually. Uh, that if anyone's listening and they can think of a better solution for a hands-free recording thing, all I want is to be able to, you know, it's a standard screw mount on the back of this little dictaphone that would attach to most tripods. Yeah. And I thought, I imagined this vest coming with a uh, articulated arm and a uh, uh, a screw mount that I could just pop the right in front of you, recorder and it would move onto. around. Yeah, have, have you th- and it would all be stable. I was like, steady cam, yeah, fine. And I'm not I'm not going to hear like you know I'm using one of these um, uh, what are they called angle poise mic holders right now. Mm. So I just wanted that on a vest. Mm, mm. 
and I thought that this was going to be it. But it's not. Okay, two options for you. Train the fucking dog so you can put a microphone on the dog's back. That's a good idea. That's one option. Also, just just employ a person. You've got loads of... You've got like nine, nine, or nine, ten children. Get one of those children just to walk along in front of you, holding the microphone as you go. Yeah. That's you what know. podcasters... I could did Emily Dean's podcast, Walking the Dog. Mm. And she came out and visited me in Norfolk and we went for a walk. And she had a producer running along beside us. With mics. What? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of high high end podcast budget is that? I Bloody see, hellfire. I think it was for the Times then, wasn't it? So oh, so okay. there you go. It's like a proper production. Uh listen, Adam, final thing. Uh arriving, you've got this arriving arriving in a couple of days' time, and this sort of uh, this seals the deal really. The seven C's joint care active capsules. There we yeah. are, you see. This will help. This will help. That's more useful than the, you know, harness. Will it help? That's the question. I don't know. I've been taking the joint pills now for over a year because I started mm. getting bad tendonitis and uh, and bad knees as well uh, towards the beginning of lockdown. And um, has it helped? Yeah. Hard to tell. That's the thing with most of these remedies is that... Too scared to stop taking them as well. That's the problem yeah. once you're in. The thing is that, you know, most of the things if you're lucky that go wrong with your body are gonna pass they're gonna write themselves My, minor things i'm talking about um and if you just sit tight you know that mysterious pain in your elbow which might be really intense for quite a few months it will just yeah. subside and there will be no yeah. rhyme or reason to it or nothing that you can particularly identify like i didn't stop doing anything particularly it just went but then, um, you know, as you say, you don't, you, you sort of don't, don't want to take the chance and you convince mm. yourself, oh no, it went away because of, of the pills I was taking. But I don't think, I think they're probably totally yeah. worthless. But again, you're too scared. It's basically, you're basically taking these pills out of superstition. That is a, that's a great way to build medicine on superstition. Yeah. Well, that is a, a large part of the medical industry, isn't it? It's like, works well. Oh, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but try this. And then you think, oh, okay. And then a big part of the improvement comes from your mental realignment and your positive. I mean, I, 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 you know, the power of placebos is well established and well documented. And if you, if your mind is telling itself that things are going to improve, there's a good chance they will. Um, listen, uh, Adam, that feels like a very nice positive note to end on. Yeah, there you It feels go. like we've done a kind of wellness podcast at the end, man. That was great. <laughs> that was great. We changed genres at the end. Uh, Adam Buxton, thank you for coming on My Mate Bottle Toaster. You are a wonderful, wonderful human. Thank you for being on the show. Hey, man, nice to see you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, let's do this again sometime. Thank you. Lots of love. All the best. Bye, man. Bye, bye, bye. bye. Was it me or was that Adam Buxton on My Mate Bought a Toaster? I'm sure it was, wasn't it? It was the real deal. Very exciting. And a lovely man to boot. Very funny indeed. Very good. Um, so thank you to the wonderful Adam Buxton for coming on the show. Thank you to you for listening. Uh, maybe you're a long-term listener. Maybe you've just dropped in for the uh, Buxtonathon. In which case, hello to you. Welcome. This is My Mate Bought a Toaster. A bit late to be saying welcome. I realise that. Uh, but there's loads of other good episodes available. Go and look at the list. Should I... Guys, who's listened to the show before? Should I sort of reference like a good show they could listen to? Um, Rufus Sewell, that's very good. Uh, Mel Gadroich, Dom Jolly, Gabby Logan. Oh, there's so many. I don't know. 
which is my fave. I don't, I don't know. They're all wonderful. Anyway, thank you if you're a new listener and uh, welcome along. Make sure you subscribe and review and all the bits. And I'll be back next week with a cheeky bit of Sanjeev Bhaskar, if you fancy it. See you then. Hello, it's Mr. P here. And the other Mr. P. And we are the hosts of two Mr. P's in a podcast. The educational podcast where you don't actually learn a thing. No, instead we explore the weird, wonderful and downright hilarious things that happen in school from people actually doing the job. We reminisce on our own time at school, funny things we experience each day. And of course, we share your hilarious stories from the chalk face. So if you work in a school or just want a nostalgic trip down memory lane, sit up straight, fingers on lips, and get ready for the lesson. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.